welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of AZ Vineyard Church. This week, Sandy talks about love culture. Go get a notebook, grab a Bible, and expect to have an encounter with God today. So we're starting a new uh, series of teaching, preaching, call that whatever you want. I'm not big on titles. I'll let you know that right up front. So if I call something the wrong thing, please forgive me. Um, but we're starting a new series that we prayed about as a teaching team, and it's, it's the love culture. And we were praying, y'all are going to laugh, we were praying in prayer meeting before service, and the song that kept coming to my head was the B-52's Love Shack. <laughs> so I apologize now for that. But wouldn't it be cool if this kingdom corner was known as the place where people can come to receive love? Not, not the kind of love that the world gives, but the kind of love that God gives us. Love with action. So I like things to be neat and tidy and in order. That's just kind of how God made me. Sometimes I take that to the extreme. But God gave me confirmation that this was the right timing because John asked me like a week ago, can you do next week? And I'm like, oh, that's so close. I have so much to learn. And then I realized you can do it. And then I realized that Friday was Valentine's Day, right? And we're starting a series on love culture. I mean, how perfect is that? He just puts it all together, right? So not only that, but go back a couple of weeks to the Super Bowl, right? We all probably watched it even if our team wasn't in the game. I watch it if my team's not in the game, go Cardinals. I watch it so that I can see the commercials. I love the commercials. Some of them are so funny. Some of them are dumb. And some of them are really, really good. Well, there was one that struck my heart, and I want to share it with you. So, Danny, can you cue up that video for me? The ancient Greeks had four words for love. The first is philia. Philia is affection that grows from friendship. Next, there's storge, the kind you have for a grandparent brother. Third, there's Eros, the uncontrollable urge to say, I love you. The fourth kind of love is different. It's the most admirable. It's called agape. Love has an action. It takes courage, sacrifice, strength. For 175 years, we've been helping people act on their love so they can look back or look ahead and say, we got it right. We did good. So the Super Bowl ad kind of preached my whole sermon for me. So if you take nothing else from this part forward, Let's remember love is an action word. So the greatest commandment that Jesus gave to us was found in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, when the Sadducees and Pharisees were trying to trap him. And in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, he shows this kind of love that's an upward love and an outward love, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, right? So there's our upward love. We give and receive love to our creator. And then we have outward love. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we love God and we love others, all the other laws 
from that point back and that point forward, all the other laws are found in love. So, if we think about it, all sin, every single sin that you've ever committed has been committed against you comes from a lack of love. That's right. Interesting thought, right? Because we have a whole list of things that we do for ourselves, the do's and the don'ts. Be sure you're doing this. Be sure you're not doing that. When it's really, really simple. Love God and love others. And the first thing we have to know is that God loves us just as we are. We don't have to get cleaned up. We don't have to change who God made us to be to fit a mold that somebody else says we have to fit in. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave, love is an action word, right? That he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, not whoever cleans up their act, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Once we understand the depths of God's love for us, we naturally extend that love to those around us. In John 13, 35, it says, you will be known, my disciples will be known for their love for each other and for the world. When we're in a love relationship with our Savior, the Holy Spirit naturally comes into us and produces that same love, and it comes out of our lives as fruit. So picture, if you will, a tree a fruit tree, whatever your favorite fruit is, you can have that creative liberty. Create your own new type of fruit. I don't care. So imagine you're this tree, and do you worry about getting fed? Do you worry about being watered? And do you worry about producing fruit? Do they like, oh, I got to work really hard to make this fruit pop out on my branches, right? No. no. Because of what is being given to them, it naturally comes out. We don't make fruit pop out of our lives. It comes out naturally. But something that I've learned is when you squeeze fruit, we all produce fruit. Some of it's good, some of it's not so good. When you squeeze fruit, what comes out? Juice, that's right. So I have a question. When we're squeezed, what comes out of us? Is it sweet? Is it refreshing? Is it juice that we know has come from heaven because we couldn't have produced that on our own? Or is it dry? Is it bitter? Are we dehydrating to those around us? Are we life suckers? Are we full of prejudice, selfishness, judgments, intolerance? I'm not saying we can't have a bad day because you know what? We all have bad days. I have them a lot. But when we have faith in a God that is only good, we begin to mirror him, and that allows us to be able to weather the bad days and not sin. So I have an example of this, the way that this can work if, if we're listening. So I'm going to tell on myself. My daughter and I went to take my dog to the groomers, and we're waiting for this prime front row spot, right? We're waiting for the traffic to go by, and so we could zoom into that spot and take the dog into the groomers. Well, as we're waiting, this lovely lady in her car whoosh, zips into my spot. 
And let me tell you, I felt a little squeeze, and I'm not sure what kind of juice was going to come out. But I got a check in my spirit, and I thought, number one, it was a selfish thought. I'm not going to let this ruin my day. And then Holy Spirit said, what about their day? And I was like, okay. Now I'm going to start being thankful, because I know thankfulness always helps me redirect my thought life. Like, you know what? I am healthy, my fat little dog is healthy and needs a walk, and my daughter is healthy. So guess what? And her dog needed a walk. And guess what? We walk up to this lady, and as we do, she's getting a little one out of the car, and she's going to pick up her dog from the groomer. If you've ever picked up a dog from the groomer with a little toddler, it's not an easy thing. And she looks right at us, and it was someone my daughter actually knew, she looks right at us and she goes, I'm so sorry, I just realized I took your spot. Now, if I had been a jerk, I would have felt horrible. But I got to bless her. I said, oh, it's no, it's no problem. You got a little one. That's hard to get, kid, you know, get your kids and your dog. It's fine, it's no problem. But that's not how I started out. That's not how I felt at first. So my question is, let's think about it. What kind of fruit juice comes out of you when you get squeezed. And some of us go through way harder squeezing than what parking spot you get. So I want to talk a little bit about the title of my sermon is Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment. And I want to first talk about judgment. We'll get the bad news and then the good news. How's that? Judgment in the church, I've been in the church a long, long time, and sometimes judgment gets called something else that sounds a little holier. It's called discernment. So those of you who have been in the church any length of time may have a really active gift of discernment. And let me tell you, if God trusts you enough to let you in to people's lives and they share their dirty laundry... It's not for you to judge them. It's for you to call them to a higher level and to partner with them and to love them because love is an action word. So please, please, Mama Sandy comes out at this point. Do not use discernment to judge God's precious kids. Whether they're in the house or outside of the house, all that does is bring division. That does not draw anyone anywhere. And one thing I've learned with judgment, selfishness goes hand in hand. They're like buddies. Selfishness and judgment. Let's stick it together and let's talk about it for a minute. An accepted worldly view right now is I need to take care of myself. No one else is going to take care of me, and I'm not going to be anyone's doormat, right? There's a difference between having healthy boundaries in love and being a doormat. We want to have healthy boundaries, but let's think about this. Didn't Jesus lay down himself, his life, as a welcome mat?
In John 15, 13, it talks about us laying our lives down for a brother or a friend. Are you willing to do that? I've heard people say, well, in this relationship, it has to be a 50-50. It has to be give and take. That is a total misconception. I have been married for almost 30 years, and there are days when it's 100% give, and there are days when it's 100% take. And if you're not both in it, in a marriage relationship, 100-100, you might as well give up. Because there will be days when you will give 100%, and there will be days when you need 100%. And in order to build healthy unity inside of God's church, we have to be willing to give 100% of ourselves to each other in the body of Christ. We're not above anything. We're not below anything. There are no favorites. God has no favorites. I like to say, Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. And guess what? I was totally convicted this week. Because Because you're all his favorite. Every single one of you. It's just like a parent, you know? You have two kids. Do you love one more than the other? No. They're completely different. And God sees us all like that. So judgment, vengeance, retaliation. Don't we love to watch those movies? Right? Where the bad guy gets what's coming to him. I do. And the good guy wins. I mean, almost all of our movies and books and all of that are on that topic. And so we want to be, you know, the good guy wins. They go out and they, they kill off the bad guys, whatever it is, right? But in Romans 12, 19, God, God talks about Jesus. It's Paul is talking about that judgment, vengeance, and retaliation is the Lord's. And when my kids were little and they'd be fighting each other, which of course kids do, right? And they would be mad at each other and they'd want to get back at each other. I would say, don't you think God's better at punishing than you are? He's the, he created everything. There will come a day of judgment. God's the judge. And he's a righteous judge. But in his mercy right now, he's partnering with his people to love the world so well that every single one of us have an opportunity to come to him. Every single one of us. Think about that for a minute. There will come a day that he will separate righteous and not righteous, those who have chosen him and those who haven't. And we will take account for the things that we've done in our lives. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to give my life for. To hear him say, well done. Okay. 
We're going to turn in our Bibles now to James, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. In verse 12, it says, chapter 2, verse 12, So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. I love freedom. It's a scary thing sometimes because all we have to do is love him and love others and everything else is fulfilled. We're free. Verse 13, there will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. Don't we need that kind of mercy? So for all the word nerds in the house, I looked up a couple of words. So the Greek word for mercy is eleo. Eleo. It makes me think of the song that the kids sang. Eo, I receive your mercy. Right? Did the actions and everything. Eleo is the word for mercy. And it's also like our word we learned for love agape. It's also an action word. It means we have to have mercy on to help one that's afflicted or seeking aid to help bring in the wretched to experience mercy ourselves. It's an action word. And then I looked up judgment. And judgment is crisis. And it's spelled like crisis, but with a K. And I found that very interesting. Doesn't it bring crisis when we have judgment? And that word is used in the negative form, and it means condemnation damnation, or a negative judgment. And it's a noun. There's no action there. It's just judgment, condemnation. Ephesians 4.32 says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And Romans 2.11 plainly says that he does not show favoritism. We're all his favorites, and he's given mercy to each and every one of us. We deserve death because the wages of sin is death. But through the sacrificial gift of his love, he gives us life abundant now and for eternity. So John 3.16 is the verse that everyone goes to for his sacrificial love. And right after that, 3.17, Jesus said he did not come into the world to judge the world, but that the world would come to know him and to know his deep love for us. So I have a funny story. I like to tell funny stories. My sister has six kids. She has four boys and two girls. And when she just had two kids, she came to visit me. And she was putting the little ones to bed. And you know, little ones don't want to go to sleep, especially at Aunt Sandy's house. It's a new environment. It's a fun place to be, right? So we're sitting in the living room. She's putting the little ones to bed. And here she comes walking down the hall with little Andrew. And you got to picture this little Andrew. He's the whitest little kid you could ever imagine. Like he had see-through skin. And he little bald, almost bald head. He was about two and a half. And these little teacup ears and these big blue eyes. Well, he's riding her hip through the living room. And she's got her rod of correction. She had this little spanking little thing that she would correct the kids with, right? And walks across the living room, and he gets this big grin on his face with tears in his eyes because now he has an audience. 
And he says, but mama, please have mercy on me just this once. <laughs> and she takes him to the laundry room, and I don't know what happened in the laundry room, but he came back in with that same grin on his face, and she took him to bed. So my point is, haven't we all been that little kid with tears in our eyes that really needed mercy? Aren't we that way now? Isn't there a whole world out there with tears in their eyes? Please have mercy on me just this once. But how quick are we to offer judgment? I read a book recently. My friend Rosemary told me it was really good, so I read it from Bob Goff. It's called Everybody Always. And there's a quote in this book that I love. Dry mouth, hold on. It says, people don't bloom where they're planted, because we've all heard that, right? Bloom where you're planted, bloom where you're planted. People don't bloom where they're planted. They bloom where they're loved. So if you want to see your wife bloom, your husband bloom, your kids bloom, your boss bloom, what's the answer? All we need is love, right? Okay, so I'm going to show you a story we're going to read in John chapter 7. We're going to go to verse 37. And I'm going to maybe give you a little different viewpoint of the story of the woman caught in adultery. Some of us may know it, some of us don't. But I want you to try to identify with each of the characters in this story. But I'm going to give you a little backstory before we start in chapter 8. So if we start in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. When the crowds heard him say this, some of them declared, Surely this man is the prophet we've been expecting. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others said, But the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. Some even wanted him arrested, but no one laid a hand on him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, Why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard of anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too, the Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us, rulers or Pharisees, who believe in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up. Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing, he asked? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Okay, so here's a little backstory before we go into chapter 8. The feast that they're talking about on the last day, the climax of the festival, was the festival of booths. They call it different things. I can't even say, Karen, help me with the... Sukkot. Sukkot. Okay, see? Sukkot. I needed help. Um, so what the Jewish people would do is they would build little 
like lean-to shack kind of things, and they would live in those for eight days to remind them of the time that they were in the wilderness, the 40 years in the wilderness, and they celebrate this to this day. They celebrate this every year, the Jewish people. So you have to remember, Jesus wasn't a Christian because Christians are Christ followers, right? Jesus was a Jewish man. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. So the last day of this festival, during, during booth, the festival of booths, they would also go to, and I, I printed this out. During New Testament times, the priests for each of the first seven days of the feast in Jerusalem would go down to the pool of Siloam in a religious procession with a large water jug, and there at the pool of Siloam they would fill the water jugs and come up the many steps to the Temple Mount, commemorating the long-expected anticipation of the promise given through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 12, 1 through 4. Isaiah 12, 1 through 4 says, And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yahweh the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. As they approached with the water jugs, the people would burst forth in singing the Hallel Psalms, which are Psalms 113 through 118. And as the people were praising the Lord, they would pour out the water jugs onto the pavement. And as the water poured, they were reminded of how God miraculously provided water in the wilderness out of the rock. And will also one day pour water from heaven on their thirsty souls through the Messiah. So there's background to the story that I think we often miss. Because we don't think about the timing of all of it. So on the eighth day, the last day called the great day of the feast, the priests made no procession and they poured no water on the pavement. And this too was very significant because it, is symbolized, it symbolized the fact that God had fulfilled the promise to their fathers. He had now brought them into this land that was well watered, flowing with milk and honey. They no longer needed the miraculous supply out of the rock. It was on this day, the last day, that Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And that's the day that they sang the, the Hallel Psalms. And Psalm 118.22 ends with, And you have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So there's the background of the story we're going into, right? He's proclaimed himself, shouted, I'm the Messiah, right? Okay, so let's go back to chapter 8. So this is the next morning. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. Okay, so he would go to the Mount of Olives to pray and commune and have intimacy with his father. And then he came back to the temple. A crowd soon gathered, as they did during Jesus' ministry, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. 
But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So, very poignant picture of mercy, right? She could have died that day. Here's my question. What did Jesus write in the sand? Here's, here's my speculation. In Jeremiah 17, 13, the people that Jesus was talking to were people who knew the scriptures. Yet, in Jewish law, if you look back in Leviticus, if somebody is caught in the act of adultery, the man and the woman were put to death. Where's the man in this story? She wasn't committing adultery by herself. And second, there had to be two to three eyewitnesses. Where are those two to three eyewitnesses? Right? And watch, we're real quick to judge the Sadducees and Pharisees. That's what I've been convicted of this week. So let's take a look and see what Jesus did. So as I was researching, and there's so much with Jewish culture that we don't understand. As I was researching, um, Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher, right? So he would sit, people would sit at his feet, and he would teach them. Well, there's a Jewish teaching method called remez. And it's kind of like with kids, you do open-ended question and critical thinking and let them come to the answer themselves because don't you remember it a whole lot better when you come to the answer? So they asked him, what should we do? They were trying to trap him. But he's a teacher, so he's going to teach them because guess what? He loved them. He loved the Sadducees and Pharisees. They, they misinterpreted the law that they had read. So in, let me read it out of, the, in, the new, in the New International Version, it says, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13, says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. So what did Jesus just shout out yesterday? Come to me who are thirsty, and I will give you living water. And what did these men that are now bringing this lady to him, what had they done? They had rejected him. They wanted to arrest him. And in his mercy and kindness, I believe, he was probably writing their names in the dirt because they knew Jeremiah 17, 13. And guess what they did? What else would make these men, men and women, I don't know who all was there, probably men, would make them want to <laughs> drop their rocks? And, yeah, never mind, we're going to leave her alone, right? But they got a reflection of themselves, and he was so kind to give that to them. So a lot of us can identify with the adulterous woman, 
right? We get caught red-handed in the acts of our sin. But many of us can really relate to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Pharisees and Sadducees? Yes. Because we know the word, or we think we do, and we have this us and them kind of mentality. And really, it's all us. There's no them. There's just us. We're all saved by grace. So, not only did God show mercy to the adulterous woman caught in her sin, and it, it strikes me, she didn't call him rabbi, she didn't call him teacher, what did she call him? Lord, you are the master of my life. I give myself to you because you are gracious and merciful, right? If somebody forgives you something that you're going to die for, isn't that how you feel? You're, you're my Lord now. That's what Jesus did for each of us. So I have a question. Do we need to take some stones out of our pocket on forgiveness, resentment, comparisons? There's lots of things that we carry around with us that could be used as a weapon. And we really don't need to. Even Jesus didn't. He loved us well. We're so quick to make judgments on our family, on our kids, on our leaders, when really what our power comes in mercy. We need it. He gave his life for it, and he's asked us to do the same. Thanks for listening to AZ Vineyard Church's podcast. We're located in Goodyear, Arizona. To learn more about our church, visit our website, azvineyard.com. That's A-Z-V-I-N-E-Y-A-R-D.com.